This is the Blackout Podcast. Welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people that do amazing things. And today, I'm finally happy because I get to talk to Mark Tetro, a friend, a producer. You've done so many things and a mentor. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I feel like we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, at least... 15 months <laughs> but but then at you... least 15 it's very it's very accurate very accurate yeah but but then you've made i think three features in that time like uh, i know because in 15 months i would have made yeah three feature films yeah because right. there was the one two in, was it two in newfoundland or... no i did so i did uh uh probably when we started talking about this i was doing a film called spinster which we did here yeah yeah, yeah. with andrea dorfman in nova scotia uh and then that fall uh, I did a show, so like the, not the fall we just had, but the fall before that. Mm. I did a feature in Newfoundland with this guy called Justin Oki called A Fire in the Cold Season. And then just the last spring, did a feature here locally uh, with Stephanie Clattenburg called uh, Night Bloom. So yeah, it's been busy. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand why you couldn't come. So rewind a bit. How did it all start for you? Like, how did you get into film? Have you always wanted to do this? I mean... <clears throat> have I always wanted to do this? I feel like since I was a kid, I mean, I've always loved film. I'm not a film nerd at all. I didn't go to film school. Like, I don't know anything about, uh, you know, French New Wave or anything <laughs> like that. Like, that's not my thing. Uh, but I definitely grew up loving film and TV, like, lo- raised by media. Um, and I went to, I think I always, like, I used to do these things where, uh, which is funny because it's really what producing is. I used to do these things. Uh, I'd go on long car rides with my parents. We'd go to New York every year for the holidays, and I'd be in the car for 15 hours times two. And I'd often just have a pad of paper, and I would write down a movie idea. Mm. Wouldn't write a movie. but write down a movie idea, maybe a title, uh, maybe like where it's shot in the genre. And then I would write down the actors I'd want to be in this movie. Oh, wow. And that's all I would do. And I wouldn't do anything, anything <laughs> further than that. Uh, which is funny now I look back on that and I'm like, that's kind of what I do now. I don't really do any heavy lifting. I just sit back and say, oh, it'd be cool to have that actor in this movie. It would be cool to make a movie about this and then other people do it. Mm. Um, not so much, but like that's that's my that's my goal at least. But uh, <clears throat> I started doing that and then in, in university, in, in high school, I started uh, doing some short films uh, just through a class uh, called Film and Video with Daniel Allman, local uh, retired English teacher mm. um and we would sh- my, myself and my girlfriend at the time we were like pretty into it most people in the class like didn't really take it seriously it was a a, a bird course but we took it really really uh really seriously and i was the editor and right now i, I wouldn't push <laughs> i wouldn't push a button for anything in my life but do you remember any films you made during that period i really don't actually <laughs> okay i really don't they were kind of they were they were pretty crappy um but i would edit and i would stay there forever and then i started i used to play i used to play football and then I was the guy who had an editing software, and I would edit um, people's, uh, like, all-star reels and so that they could go to university or whatever. I would just mm-hmm. take all the footage of them and edit something together, put some music on it, and then they would show that to coaches. And then that's the end of me ever pushing a button ever again. What were again. you editing with then? Vegas Video. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Sony Vegas, Vegas. yeah. Number four, I think. <laughs> uh, I bought a system and everything. I had it in my house. It was budget it was bad but 
It seemed kind of professional at the time to me. It was better yeah. than iMovie, which is what we used in school. Uh, <laughs> and so then I, I just kind of forgot about it. Went to university. Thought I was going to be a lawyer or something like that. Oh. Um, took a, I did a history degree. And then when I got out of college, I you know went traveling. I was working crappy jobs. And then all of a sudden, um, a good friend of mine, his dad, who works in television, uh, just called me up and said, hey, you know, there's a job at this TV show. Um making coffee, making copies, driving around, interested. And I was doing a really sh- shitty construction job at the time. Mm. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm totally interested. So I did this production ass- assistant job on a show called Canada Superspeller. Um, in 2008, the show was a spelling bee, like a national spelling bee. Mm. It went on for eight months. It was a really long job, Holy which is super Holy rare. Here, here, here in Halifax. Um, with it, it was a Halifax film show. Which, okay. Previous to DHX, and so previous to now, what is Wild Brain? Um, and so that show was my first job in the industry. I was a production assistant. I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed all the people I worked with. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, and I kept. I remember someone asking me. Uh, one of my bosses asking me, like, "Well, so like, and people ask this of PAs all the time. What are you interested? Do you want to be in camera? Do you want to be in sound? Do you want to be a director? Do you want to be a writer?" And I was saying, no, I, I want to be a producer. Mm. They're like, yeah, okay, well, you know, keep working in the office. That's a good spot to be. And so I kind of saw the people working above me who I wanted to be, and I'd ask them questions, and uh, much like you do, and just be like really precocious and be like, hey, like I want to know <laughs> how you do this. Like, how do I do this? What? Yeah. Give me, give me advice because I want to be you one day. Oh, sorry, friend of the mic. I want to be you someday. I just kept doing that. And I kept getting TV shows, and I remember, I. Uh, uh, was trying to make a documentary. I wasn't really trying, but I thought I had a good idea for a documentary um, about mental health. Oh. And I was researching it, and because I didn't have a lot of things to do, um, I was researching it, and then I remember looking into how you get money to do that. And I went to, at the time, it was um, uh, Film Nova Scotia. Oh. And they operated, or it might, it might have been called something else before then. Um, they were operating an equity fund um, for film, and it was, they would, for film and TV. And so I looked at like the application and the guidelines and all the things you had to have done to qualify to get that money, mm. all the boxes you had to tick. And I decided to set about and try and tick some of those boxes because I realized pretty quickly, oh, wait, I'm not ready for this. I'm not, <laughs> they're not going to give me money. That's not how this works. Like yeah. I, I need to work at this for a while. And uh, one of the boxes said, if, if, if no previous you know, TV shows produced or features produced, must have at least produced either a Nova Scotia Bridge Award, which was a short film award they used to give out through Film Nova Scotia, or an AFCOOP Film 5. Oh. And so at that point, I looked. I was like, what's AFCOOP? I don't know what that is. I literally I didn't know anything. And I Googled AFCOOP and realized that the Film 5s had already been selected. Mm. So I was too late, but that there was a production management workshop like that weekend. And so I went to that, paid like 45 bucks, whatever it was, went to that workshop, met a couple friends who had gotten in the program, um, Mark Purdy and Joel McKenzie, and they, uh, we just hit it off, and they're like, well, what do you, you know, you want to be our production manager? You could help out. And I had PA'd the other show, and then at that point I was on a new show called Mighty Jungle, which was a puppet show. Uh-huh. So I was a production assistant still, and then I ended up production managing their short film and kind of learning what that, pro- and I really dug into it. I wasn't just like there on the day, but like I spent months with these guys, like really doing everything, basically being the physical production person so that they could concentrate. They were co-writers. They wanted to concentrate on, on writing. Mm. And I had a really good experience. And the next year, I applied for my own Film 5. 
um, with uh, Jason Levangie, who's today my business partner. Yeah. Uh, and that was funny how that came about. I wrote Martha Cooley and just said, hey, I want to produce a film five. I don't know any directors uh, or writers. Like, I've been writing some things, but I don't know directors, and I'm not going to be the director. And she said, you should meet Jason Levangie. I think you guys would get along. We had a coffee, and we did get along. And from there, we he had an idea for a short film, and we co-wrote it together. And then he he he, he directed it. I produced it, and it was you know I don't think either of us would ever show it to anybody. <laughs> uh, it's not very good, but we learned a lot, and we also like began to grow together. As he had been doing this for a long time before that too, like he had been working. In the, he's like a few years o- older than me, and he always wanted to be in film. And he's the kind of guy who. Went to film school and is a film nerd and does know about French New Wave and all that stuff. And so he had been working for a while. And so we, uh, I, I learned a lot from him too. And we decided um, after a bit, I was still working in the industry. As I think I moved up from being a PA to being, I think I went from being a PA, I did a CMPA mentorship. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With uh, Tom Fitzgerald's company. And I was there for a year. Um, Actually, I was there for two years. I was there for a year, and then they, we were going to make a film called Cloudburst. How long does that, uh, the CMPA thing last? It's only like six months. Oh, so they just kept you on. After. Yeah, what happened was we, I did the mentorship, and then uh, we were supposed to go to camera on his movie Cloudburst, and then they were going to start paying me on that as a production assistant or, so, or something. But that movie fell apart uh, the first time he tried to make it, which was a really interesting experience for me as a now producer to watch that whole all, all happen because it was – you know, soul crushing for them and very difficult. Um, but it fell apart and then he kind of kept me on and someone else, the lady who I'd, my uh, like kind of first production mentor, this lady, Faye Sullivan, she was uh, the coordinator on um, Canada's Superspeller and she had sort of told me I should go do a mentorship with Tom. So she was working there too. Mm-hmm. And so the two of us stayed on for an entire year and kind of helped them get that movie back up. Uh, also helped them produce a play. I mean, help them produce. I didn't produce anything. I just ran around and got stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, he produced a play version of, of a, a theatrical version of the film. Mm. And I was still there working. And then that next summer, we made the movie. And that was my first time on a movie. Uh, and I was the assistant production coordinator. Um, so I was in the office. And first movie, and it was a good movie to learn on because it was a decent size. And it was interesting. There was, like, you know, some uh, stars in it, people coming, you know, two Oscar-winning actresses who came to be in it. And um, oh, wow. so that was kind of fun to watch, like, them get cast and then uh, have them come to Halifax and and work. So that was um, Olympia Dukakis and Brenda Fricker. Um, and then from there, I, I got a job as a locations manager. What? Right away. like Because <laughs> of the film five I did. Yeah. As a, When you produce a film five, as you know, you end up being the location manager yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You don't get to hire people like that. So I was doing that on my film five. And I had gotten the location from a seasoned location uh, manager who gave me the location uh, as a friend, uh, Sean Clark. Oh, yeah. And so I think he and the producer mentor watched me deal with like a very difficult situation uh, on the shoot. Um, and I won't say any names, but it was just like the location owner just kind of went a bit nuts on us in the middle of the shoot. <laughs> and I had to deal with it and it was hard to deal with, but I dealt with it well. And so Sean Doyle, who was uh, our producer mentor at the time, is, is a, a, good friend, a good a good pal of mine. He saw me deal with that and said, "Hey, this I think this guy can do that job actually." And so he was production managing a movie uh, called Roller Town, uh, 
oh, yeah, um, yeah. with Picnic Face that my now business partners and friends, Jay Dahl and Bill Niven, were producing, but I didn't know them at the time at all. Mm. Um, and uh, they asked me to be the, the location manager, and I came in, and I said, I don't really know what this job is. Let's talk about it a bit. And they told me a bit about it, and I said, I think I can do that. But I need, I need this much money. And they said, oh, we're not paying that much. I said, well, <laughs> listen, like, I don't want to do this job unless it's that much money because I know from talking to people this is a hard job. Mm. And they were like, okay, all right, fine. You can have that, you can have that, much, that much money. And it wasn't that much money, but at the time it was a lot for me. Mm. And um, so I started location managing that show. Uh, got to know Jay Dahl and Bill Niven really well, who are, like I said, uh, now business partners and, and really good friends. And um, did that show. It was a lot of fun. Uh, just shoveled a lot of garbage, and I was all of a sudden a, a, I was a location manager, uh, and then that turned into I went to um, I went to New York, and I thought I was going to transition my career to the U.S. because I'm I'm a dual citizen, okay. and I was like, oh, I'm gonna go to New York and do what I'm doing here down there, and I'm gonna work forever and be a big a big success. Um, I was also applying to film school in New York that didn't work out. Uh, but I went down there. I applied to film school. I was living there for like five or six months. Mm. And I had, I think, one, two days on set the entire time I was down there. Oh, wow. So I didn't, I was there for like six months. I didn't work, essentially. Mm. Uh, produced a short film down there with some people. And it was a fucking crazy short film that was really stupid. <laughs> that some guy self-financed. Um, it was a really weird situation, but it was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, and then halfway through that... Um, Jay Dahl wrote me and said, we're doing a TV show with Picnic Face and we think you should come back and be the locations manager on it. And I said, uh, how much money? And he told me, I was like, yeah, okay, sure. And I came back because I had not worked in forever. Uh, and I was just spending every dollar I'd ever made in my life uh, on nothing in New York and just kind of being an idiot. And so I came back. At that point, also, Jason Levengin and I were talking a lot. We decided we wanted to start a production company. So this was 2011. So I came back to location manage uh, uh, the Picnic Face TV show and start a company which became my company now, which is called Shut Up and Color Pictures mm. with Jason. So we started it. We ended up, I think we inked it that fall. I came back in spring and we came, in that fall we had a company. Um, and the plan was to uh, make uh, was to make music videos. So he, oh. he had been directing and producing music videos mm. for a number of years. And then sort of pitched me on a business case for how one could actually maybe make money off them. I'll tell you now, you can't make money off music videos. Um, <laughs> but we tried. We used to actually get tax credits from um, the old tax credit system uh, yeah. because they had no minimum caps. So you could do a music video for $5,000, yeah. spend $5,000 on labor, and afterwards you could go apply and get that money back um, as a tax incentive. And so it would be revenue to the company and so for us we could we were working for free we weren't at, we weren't charging artists or labels money to produce their videos because we would get this money later and us I, I think at this date we i don't know if we've ever gotten any of that money um it was like not a great business model but we turned that into um producing uh the whole, the whole goal for doing that was we wanted to be making feature films and television it wasn't we wanted to make music videos it mm. was we can make music videos we need a company to do so. Let's start one, and then let's start developing content, right? And so I think we started writing, you know, 
ideas for movies at least. I don't know if we actually wrote any scripts, but we wrote ideas for movies and we started collecting other people's ideas for movies and trying to develop them. Um, all the while, both of us were still working in the industry too. So like he was, um, you know, he was working as a location manager sometimes, but also as a director of photography. Um, and I was working as a location manager and then I started getting hired as a production manager for the first time on these, uh, dramatic recreation shows for oh. like Nat Geo and Smithsonian channel. Uh, so I did a, a, a few seasons of the show called forensics first, which I think ended up becoming called uh, catching killers or something like that. Um, but we would just do recreation. So no sound, <laughs> uh, very low key actors were not, not actors. Like <laughs> people we'd find who would come out for a hundred bucks and we'd have a cool, like fun little crew yeah. of professionals. Uh, but we just have a lot of fun with it. And Jay doll is the director and he's a lot of fun to work with. And so <laughs> we just did some crazy shit. And, um, I don't know how many times I played like, you know, murderer or like, you know, <laughs> sexual abuser or whatever in these old things. Like just your hands, man, it's just your hands. And then, like, that's like, you're shooting my face. Like get my face out of there. Uh, but I did a lot of that. And kind of like at that point I was like learning how to like manage humans, uh, manage budgets, manage schedules, hire people, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And so that was a really good experience for me. Uh, and Jason and I, at that time also, I think roughly, yeah, I remember this very well. We, um, to make our first feature film, we made a feature film called Saudad. Um, it's a Spanish language feature film um, that we made with uh, Ecuador. Oh, okay. So it was um, fully in Spanish language, Ecuadorian writer-director. Ecuador and Argentina partnered, like two companies partnered together as a co-production, official co-production to make the movie. And then we... We're the Canadian side, and what happened was we just met this filmmaker uh, through a friend of mine. I think he had been like, um, what do you call it, like a like an exchange student or something like that. At my friend, he stayed at my friend's house mm. uh, in in Montana in the United States. And my friend was like, "You should meet my filmmaker friend, Juan Car. He's awesome. He's in Ecuador." And I was like, "Sure, I'll meet your, I'll meet your Ecuadorian film friend. Like, I don't know where, where, where that's gonna go." Yeah. <clears throat> but then one day we did meet, like just via Skype or whatever. And he said, oh, I'm making a movie. And we were like, oh, that's pretty cool. What's it about? And he told us what it was about. And we really liked what it was about. Um, it was a movie set in the 90s, kind of like about a suburban kid dealing with um, like a full-on coming-of-age story. But suburban skater kid in the 90s dealing with um, uh, what he said was like economic dislocation. So uh, the in that time, Ecuador was struggling financially and then took on the U.S. dollar. And so... According to, I think, a lot of Ecuadorians, they see that as, like, the loss of their identity, the loss of currency being the loss of their identity. And a lot of people started moving to Argentina or Colombia or Peru just to get out of there because it was riots and it was a big deal. Uh, and that's how it happened during his childhood. And it, and he so he set this, like, coming-of-age story amidst this, and it really appealed to me and Jason. Mm. But, of course, it was in Spanish. And so we didn't really, we're like, is it good? I don't know, is it good? <laughs> he would send us, like, Juan Carlos would send us, like, music videos he made. We're like, oh, this guy's talented. He's cool. He, he makes cool shit. Mm -hmm. But, like, what's the script about? So we paid 400 bucks to have someone translate it. Oh, man. Got it translated. And then we're like, yeah, this is cool. Is it, we, uh, we like this. How can we co How can we help produce this movie? Because he had reached out to us because he was, like, you know, he has what we call in the business, like, a gap in his financing. He had some financing, but he didn't have enough for what he needed to do. Yeah. So he thought we could somehow come up with money, which we were like, maybe we can. We don't really know how this works. <laughs> uh, so we actually went to talk to Telefilm, and they were like, get out of here. Um, 
come back to us in 10 years. Uh, and so we said, okay, okay, how can we do this? And so what we realized is that we had been working on music videos and commercials and these like recree shows and whatever for so long that we had great relationships with uh, vendors like, um, well, who it was was Sim Video, uh, who's a camera supplier, uh, who's RIP. They're in Toronto now uh, only, not here. Um, and The Postman, which is now kind of Connections, so Mark Savoie. We worked with those guys all the time, all the time. And we became good friends with them. And, you know, we were just, you know, clients who were friends. And so we thought maybe we can leverage those relationships into bringing something to their movie that they can't afford. Yeah. So they were going to shoot this on like a, on like a DSLR maybe, or on like a Sony F5 or something like there wasn't going to be like a high quality filmic, like a cinema camera. Mm. And so we said, well, what if we got, like, Master Primes and, like, a RED camera for you? Wow. And they were like, oh, my God, that'd be incredible. Yeah. And so we went and got a really good deal with Sim. Uh, thank you, Sim. Uh, Sim Digital Tattersall. I don't know what they're called now. Um, <laughs> but thank you, Jeff Wheaton, I should say. Uh, and then we got a really good deal on that. It was not very busy here. We brought that down. And they were like, oh, my God, thank God. And then we also brought Video Post. Uh, back to Nova Scotia, to the Postman, which is not something else they were struggling with. How did they could afford to do the kind of, just not not just to color correct, but like the effects that Juan Carr wanted to do in his film. Mm. And so we didn't really bring any money. We brought resources that they couldn't afford and we brought them down there. And for that, we became producers of this movie because it was essentially like bringing, you know, $70,000 to the table, but it didn't cost us that. It cost us something. It cost us like, Fifteen or 20000 that we had made from making music videos and whatever the hell that we just kind of invested in this guy's movie mm. just because we wanted to make a movie and also wanted to go to Ecuador for two months. <laughs> uh, and so we went down to Ecuador with this this camera package and it was really intense and there was a lot of uh, problems getting there and issues we don't have to get into, but it was uh, that, was, that was our first feature film and we had a lot of fun making it. And uh, we... Sadly, it didn't do as well as one would have hoped. It's a really good film, but it was also in Spanish and just not something that people want to buy, yeah. which we found out. Uh, uh, but it did sell. It, it ended up on Stars in the United States, and it was an HBO Latino. and So it made some like small sales around the world. Mm. Uh, played some film festivals. Like we played in Santa Barbara. We played in Germany. We played in France and Spain. and um, It was a really good experience, and that was our first feature film and i think from there it was like we had a thirst to make more mm. and we kept trying to figure that out we went to uh we got some money from telefilm to write a script oh um and so we uh went to los angeles for a few months to like write this script and we wrote it and it's like 160 pages long and no one's <laughs> no one's ever read it but it's, i think i think it's actually in my heart of hearts i think it's Probably cool. I but don't it's know. like 160 pages. It's super long, man. <laughs> it needs to be edited. It needs to be edited. Yeah. It needs to be edited. But we uh, we went down there. We wrote this film and then did have done nothing with it. Um, but that was a good experience, just like writing that film, something very different than what we I had been doing. And from there, I went to um, the, Canadian, the Canadian Film Center, uh, which is a great program in Toronto. Uh, producer's Lab, that, that they call it. They have a director's lab and a writer's lab. And a screen, a TV writer's lab, and an editor's lab, and an actor's lab, and all these things. And um, they select five people every year, and they you go stay there for six months, and you basically it's like 
it's like a residency program in a way, right? Like you're there, it's, there's no classes, but you're there, you bring a project in, uh, in development and you keep working on it the, and you meet people and they bring people in for you to interview and talk to. Um, like I think you would love it. Um, so I, 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 like you get what you put into it. You know what I mean? It's like, if you ask questions and you are, uh, out there and talking to people, you get a lot out of it. If you just kind of sit there, nothing will happen to you. Uh, it was a great experience for me and I learned a lot, like a ton. Like I didn't know anything about financing movies before that. Um, I didn't know anything about casting really. I didn't know anything about anything. Mm. So I feel like going to film center, like completely changed my perspective from, I'm still pretty scrappy, but like from being super scrappy to like being a bit more uh, thoughtful and professional and like, mm. n you know, knowing a little bit how to get things done. Um, and out of that program, we, uh, these young ladies who were in the acting program or one of them was in the acting program, sent me a script and it was great. Uh, like I really liked it as a friend of theirs in LA had written it. It was called suck it up. Oh, yeah. And, uh, they sent me this script and they wanted to take me out. And I had read that, or I think I went to a conference where Brian Grazier from imagine like Brian Grazier is uh, Ron Howard's partner. Mm. Brian Grazier talked about how, I don't know what the story was. I think it was that he went to a spa for a, one of his first meetings. Like maybe it was about the film big or something like that, but he had like met the writer and they had gone to a spa together and it was like the best first meeting ever. So I took these, these two young women to a nail salon to talk about the project after I, I had read it. We had this great, like, you know, first date essentially in a nail salon in Toronto talking about this movie and how they wanted to make it and how I could help. And from then they were like, Oh yeah, let's, and we were all like, let's make this together. And they had done a ton of work. They had gotten a script written. They had signed on um, Jordan Canning to oh. be the director, who was someone I was friends with. Admired a lot and thought would be an excellent director. And so Jason and I read the script, and we were both like, we're on board. How can we help? And so we set about trying to raise money for this film. We all decided we are going to make it for a very small amount of money, but we had to go make it in the Rockies. It was set in the Rockies in Western Canada, and that was that was not going to change. Uh, so everyone kept saying, we'll just shoot it in Nova Scotia, and you know, we'll just shoot it in Northern Ontario. We're like, no, it's going to be in the Rockies. They're like, well, I don't know how you're going to finance that. Yeah. And we had an American writer, which means that you can't have telefilm. The te telefilm won't invest in, an, uh, in a non-Canadian screenplay, unless there's a co-production, but there's no co-productions no co with the United States. And so we... No, there isn't? No. So oh. co-productions... Uh, you can work with the United States, but those are always called, well, it's, it's all, it's all, all terminology, but, uh, uh, telephone would refer to that as a co-venture oh. as would CRA and Cavco. Whereas uh, in the United States, any, anytime a producer and a producer work together, it's called a co it's called a co-production in Canada and the rest of the world. Co-productions are these official treaties between countries. So like Canada and Ireland will work together to come up with a treaty of how, you can get uh, government financing from each country mm. and marry them together. The reason the U.S. doesn't do that is because there's no government financing for film because they're the only place in the world that doesn't have to do that <laughs> because they've got a studio system. I mean, yeah. U.K. to a certain extent also, but they also have government financing. And so we couldn't, we didn't know how to make, how to raise money for this. And so we uh, just kept trying. And so we had a couple of false starts, but we ended up getting a broadcast license because they really responded to the script and to Jordan. 
and we ended up getting um, turning that into this award called Women in the Director's Chair um, through Creative Women's Workshop and Carol Whiteman. Um, and so the deal with that was that it was almost at that point it was only in British Columbia, but I'd heard of it, and through the CFC, like these are things you learn at the CFC how to get money. Um, and so we applied to it and we made the case that they do their first national project and they did. And so we expanded that mostly to Toronto. So we started getting other companies on board to help, to help, to help out. And so in the end, that still wasn't enough to make a movie, but we, uh, after a lot of work and trying and luck, we were able to get some private financing together and we made this film for a very small amount of money mm. in the Rockies in like 2016. How many and days did you shoot for? I think officially 18. Mm. Um, but what we did, since none of us were from that area, we were all staying in like Airbnbs and cabins. What we pitched to our DOP, Guy Godfrey, and to our director and to everybody else was that we were going to do weekend shooting, uh, but with no crew. Like very minimal. We're in the Rockies. It's gorgeous. Like let's take the car out and go drive around and shoot some stuff. Yeah. Let's go for a hike and up to a top of a mountain and shoot some stuff. And I guess the hard part there was that we had to have the sound guy with us. Yeah. Um, you're very important. Um, <laughs> and so the sound guy was from Calgary. And so that's like the one crew member we had to have. We'd be like, hey, Ron, uh, please, like, can you stay this weekend? Don't go home to your family. We'll pay you. <laughs> but, like, we want you to come hang out with us and shoot this stuff. Yeah. And so we did. So it was 18 days. I would say, like, really probably normal schedule would have been more like 20. Yeah. Um, but also, like, we had all the time in the world. Uh our DOP guy, Godfrey, our first AD was my friend Keith White from Halifax. We flew out for the movie just because we couldn't find anybody in Alberta and he really wanted to do it. And it was, he, he basically essentially volunteered. Um, <laughs> and he came out. And because he and the DOP and Jordan were all quite experienced, they, we never rushed. It was like, it felt like a 30 day schedule, which is why I think the movie di did so well and, 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 and was good and was well received because we had time. Also, we had time to develop it because we had f all these false starts where we thought we were going to make it and then we couldn't get the financing together. All of that made the film better mm. because Jordan and Julia Hoff, the writer, spent like a year and a half working on the script together intensely thinking that any day it might get shot. And they completely changed the film from when I first read it to what we shot. Mm. Uh, it went from kind of very broad comedy, which was, it was a great version of that, to a really... Really, it's a drama with um, some levity and some funny parts, but it's a very serious drama mm. about grief. And so I'm happy that it took that long to make that film. I think all films, you know, need that need that development process. And I think Jason and I are fiercely proud of that movie and really happy that we made that. And that kind of, I feel like really that, in a way, was like a turning point or transition in my career where I wasn't just a production manager and I wasn't just some scrappy guy who made some movie in South, in South America. Um, we made a film that we had to like go get real money for and work with a bank on and all that stuff. And it was a really big turning point. Mm. And it went to festivals and people wanted to buy it and, 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 it, and it was great. And so since then, we've been like hustling so hard trying to develop more scripts and make more films. And it's funny because like from, from 2016 until 2018, we weren't making anything within 2018. All of a sudden, it was like pfft, all those things I just told you about, and it was mm -hmm. extremely busy um, and made a bunch of films. And, uh, you know, 20, 2019, 
uh, we made a film in, in 2019 as well. But 2020 feels like it's going to be. 2020 has only been a month long, and I feel like I haven't slept yet. Like, I've been so busy in 2020, sort of figuring out what 2020 is going to look like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I kind of owe that all to, like, the culmination of my career. I think I'd suck it up, and that, then now I am a film producer, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's a really long-winded answer to how that got started. Unless... But, like, so I guess now... Um, I mean, you've kind of talked about you look at projects, but you must have you must get a little projects. How do you decide this is the one? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I guess it's a lot of projects for sure. I feel that I'm at a stage in my career where I am not um powerful enough to just make anything I want, mm. if that's the best way to put it. And so I, a, 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 it has to be a good script. I have to like it. That's that's important. But B, I think there has to be momentum. Like, I can't just get a script, like it, and then be like, cool, I'll pour the next six years of my life into this thing and make it. Because there's so many other films that get sent where they're like, we have this actor attached, or we've got this director attached, there's this little piece of financing already in it, mm. we need you to sort of, like, put it all together and take it to the finish line. And those are projects I like to hop on, because uh, yeah. um, I get to then start uh, doing the thing that I do, but also become the producer and start, you know, weighing in. So, like... You know, Spencer's a really good example uh, of that. Spencer, actually, two of the movies I made in the past three years are really good examples of that. So Spencer, Andrea Dorfman had been developing for years um, with her writer, Jennifer Dale, and with Bill Niven, and with Jay Dahl. And so what happened was they sent it to me at some point to read it, just to, I don't know, see what I thought about it maybe or something. I can't remember why. And I really liked it uh, a lot. And they were, like, really enthused by how much I liked it. And I said, well, listen, like, if you really like this film, like, why don't you take the lead and, like, really try and put this together? And I said, great. I'm super happy to do that. So that was, like, a lot of momentum in place already. There was mm. a writer and director who were experienced and I thought made cool stuff. There was these two producers who were on board who were going to help me, um, you know, guide me through this process. That was, that was my first time working with, working with Telefilm. Mm. And so they really guided me through that process. So for me, it was like kind of a no-brainer. It was like, I just come and come in and I add my value and you guys are going to all support me and there's all this momentum happening already. Uh, and then similarly with um, the one I made in Newfoundland, A Fire in the Cold Season, you know, Justin Oki had, been, had already produced a movie and directed one on his own. And this one, he had written and he had gotten serious interest from Telefilm, but they told him he needed to work with a somebody like me, somebody who was fiscally responsible and a producer, um, they, that, that he, they wouldn't give him the money unless he had someone like me. Mm. So he approached me and was like, A, here's a script. And I was like, okay, A, I like the script. And then it was B, well, I'm going to, like, there's money I'm going to put, like, there's all this money I've already raised for it. I just need you to kind of pull it all together in one point. And I said, well, that's easy. And that's not easy. <laughs> it's super hard. But I'm like, okay, great. There's a lot of momentum. Yeah. I don't have to put my entire life into this for four years I put my entire life into it for four months mm. and then sort of do all these other things and so that that was important to us and uh or to me it's like it's important to pick that script it's got to be good but i feel like at this point in my career it has to have some sort of momentum mm. just reading a script that someone's like i don't know but it's a script and i'm like cool well like i've got a lot of scripts and i you know i want to be at a point in my career at some point where i can be like read a script and say, make that. And people <laughs> go and make it, but I'm not there. It requires me 
any project requires me killing myself for three years to make it. And so if that can be lessened and that burden can be lessened in some way, yeah. it's attractive to me. Um, but of course it has to be a good script. Mm. So that's, that's really important. So, so now you've picked up the script. What happens from then till when the film is made? So much, man. Like, um, development, of course, like creative development. Um, so here's a good example. Like, I'll use Night Blooms as an example. Stephanie Klattenberg and I had worked together uh, me, myself as a line producer. She is a director on a film called Hopeless Romantic. And we were kind of always been friends for a while. And I thought she did a really good job as a, as a director on that film. So I was interested in working with her, which is important. And then she pitched me two ideas. There's no script. And I said, not that idea, but that idea. I like that idea. Write it and let's talk. And then she wrote it in like a month. And we talked about it. And that was Night Blooms. And um, from there, I said, okay, yeah, you know what? I want to do this. Uh, you know, let's get some paperwork done or whatever. And so me and Jason said, we, we really want to do this. And we worked for a long time on that script with Stephanie, with outside uh, script editors. So that was the creative development process. It was a lot of work on that script. Because mm. um, what I first, the, the pitch she gave me to what we actually ended up shooting, that's all very different. Um, with the general th the general theme in mind. Um, and from there, like having a good script is fine, but you have to get financing. Mm. And that's what I do, uh, what what we do as producers. And so we pitched telefilm. Telefilm really liked the idea, really liked Stephanie, really liked Jason and I wanted to support all of us. And so they came on board and then we were like, what are we gonna do next? We need to you know, in my mind, it was like, we need to package this film. So packaging a film means like bringing cast to it. And so we worked with Stephanie a lot on casting. Um, we sent a casting call across the country looking for our star. We finally found a young lady that we thought was great named Jessica Clement, um, who lived in Toronto. I think she now lives here. Um, and then we also, through Stephanie, um, connected with this uh, actor, Nick Stahl, who had been in a lot of movies that I watched as a kid, um, in the bedroom and like Bully and things like that. And she knew him personally. Mm. And she said, well, do you think Nick would be good in this movie? And Jason and I were both just like, yeah, I mean, Nick <laughs> would be fucking awesome in this movie. Are you kidding yeah. me? So we reached out to Nick and he read the script and he was like, oh yeah, like I love this character. And so he got in. So we were packaging this film. Um... And that movie happened really quick. It went from, realistically, I would say, how'd that work? I feel like she pitched me in like a November. By January, she had a script. By, no, it couldn't have been this quick. Okay. We went to telefilm, I think, in an April of some year, 2017, maybe, 2018. Uh, what's the year? It's 2020 right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. So 2018. We went to telefilm in the spring uh, with that script that I had read in January. So very quickly, they liked it. They financed us. And then the following spring, we made the movie. Mm -hmm. And so we spent a lot of time at, from that point on kind of like coming up with the also the plan of how we we're going to shoot this film. Stephanie was very particular about how she shot the film. And so we did a lot of planning. I think that's your answer to your question. What happens between script and making the film? A, you have to finance it, of course, and B, you have to work on the on the creative. But C, you have to plan. We plan forever. 
Um, it was a set in the nineties. We had very little money. Oh man. Um, and we wanted to shoot it without any film lights. That was super important to Stephanie. So I think a film light came out like twice in the movie. Otherwise it was just like a lamp or, or, or whatever it was. Wow. And so that took a lot, a lot of planning. Um, our DOP is this great guy, Paul McCurdy, who, uh, is like a bit of a genius. And he just <laughs> would, so would sit there and he would be like, I can only shoot in this room from 1 PM until 3 PM. And our AD would pull her hair out and say, what? What are you talking about? It's like only two hours in that room every day. And we would ha- had to plan the film out to do that that way. Um, and so if you don't have money, you have to have time. Mm. And we had time. So, I, you know, and I think every film is different. But that's, I think, what happens from almost every film from this, what, when you decide you're going to make it to when you make it is like you've got to work the creative, raise the financing, and plan the shit out of it. And um, how many days did you have on Night Blooms? We shot for 20 or 21 days, okay. 20 days on that film. Um, then we shot already shot one day of pickups and then we're talking about potentially shooting a few more pickups. Okay. So in the end it could be like 23 days, but the pickup days are pretty chill. It's like we shoot for a couple hours and, uh, and, uh, and so it's not like a full day of production, but it's 20 days of like real production. On we film. delete or have to come into the city or if we do any pickups, the, so the first pickups we, uh, we did were with no actors, mm. uh, had some background in it, but it was mostly just like we shot the film in spring and we wanted to be shooting in summer, but we couldn't because of how busy it was. Mm. And so the film was pretty, uh, dreary and we wanted to add some summer moments to it. So in the summer, we sent out a team to go shoot some summer stuff to put together. Uh, um, shots of trees being green, <laughs> kids playing shirtless or whatever, you know. Yeah. And the new pickups we would shoot would involve actors. Oh, okay. So we, have to fly, we would have to fly our two stars in. Okay. And uh, like we'd be shooting like a real scene. And so you said the yes that and you've been working on stuff. What are some of the things on your slate now? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm working with um, this local filmmaker called Jason Buxton, who did Blackbird on uh, his next film called Sharp Corner. Um, so we're working with people in Toronto as partners, and uh, they will actually the people in Toronto brought us on um, as partners locally, and so we're we're less so developing that and more, and we're also less so financing that. And what we're doing is coming up with a plan. Oh. So. The guy in Toronto's financing and developing with with Jason. A little, you know, we weigh in a little bit, but really, it's Jason's baby. And then we, um, Jason Levangi and I, are coming up with a plan for how to do this movie. It's a very involved movie. It's going to have a very large budget and like require a lot of planning. So that's one film. Um, we're working with an LA producer on what we call service production. So service production is literally where you only do the planning part. <laughs> And even then, maybe you do a little bit less of, uh, of that. They come in, you make their movie for them, you get a paycheck, and they leave. So that's a film we're working, working on a film like that. Um, we're also uh, writing uh, again, so we're going away uh, in February for a week to do some writing on not the 160 page script, but the next 160 page script. A different, story. a different one, okay, completely. Um, it's actually the project that I took to CFC to develop, and I haven't, oh, we haven't really touched it since. Yeah. So we're really excited to sit down and do some writing because we, though we're producing, we've always had these aspirations to write our own stuff, and so you know, trying to find time for that. Um, and what else? We're um, uh, there's a couple TV shows on our slate for sure. 
that we're trying to work on. And there's a couple of feature films, um, again, that, like, I would say there's a couple of other feature films that we're not the tip of the spear on. Mm. So uh, people are building that momentum so that then we can come in and do our thing. Um, and then also we're both, like, you know, uh, producing doesn't always pay the bills. And so... I also work as like a line producer and production manager and some doing some 2020 scheming there too. And <laughs> trying to, you know, there's TV shows being shot here and stuff yeah, like that. And I get yeah. to work on them. So I'm doing uh, a lot of that. Um, okay. That keeps, that keeps the lights on. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to end it with this one though. So someone watches this and is like, I want to do what you are doing at some point. Sure. Right. What are three things they need to focus on? Um, number one, I would say it's, it's, uh, and maybe I won't order these. One of the things I think is building a network of people that are in this industry. Um, they don't have to just be local. They could be anywhere. But I think I've worked really hard on building a network both here and in Toronto. And that turns into opportunities. And without that network, there'd be no opportunities. Mm. Um, so I think networking is extremely important. Um, you know, going to events, meeting people going outside your bubble, getting to film festivals, talking to people, um, you know, going to things like, like the Canadian Film Center, doing things like the AFCU programs, whatever it is, networking is super important. Another thing that I think that's super important is I think it's important to work in the industry. I think that, you know, I always see it as like I've got a career and I've got a job and my job is production management, line producing, and my career is producing. But my job could easily be, a you know, uh, insurance salesman or or firefighter, right? Mm. And if it were, I feel like those career opportunities would be much more difficult to 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 obtain. So I'm really thankful and lucky that it's turned out in a way that I get to work in the industry, and I'm constantly always thinking about it, whether I'm working for somebody or working for myself. Mm. And everything I do, I'm learning something that can help me in my career. So whether I go spend the whole summer production managing some TV show, without a doubt, I'm going to learn a ton that I can bring to uh, my career as a producer and maybe transition transition myself into TV, for example. Um, I don't really know how how to do that yet. And I think working in the industry is what's helping me uh, along the way, the whole way. And and then number three, I think it's... um, I mean, you know, whatever. I could say hard work, and sure, um, but I don't know if that's it. I feel like maybe um, <laughs> like working smart, like not always. I think there's a lot of things people do that can be like self-sabotaging, and um, a lot of people don't make things because they want it to be perfect and then they end up just never making it and then no one is ever going to pay attention to them or hear them or see them and so I think working smart and getting your stuff out there and I think working smart plays into working hard you've got to work hard but you can't just work hard you know like working hard to me working dumb to me would just be like living in your attic writing your script for 10 years and no one ever sees it. You're working hard, but you're not working smart. Yeah. So I think working smart is like doing that and making sure that you also get it out there for people to read. And Mm. then for me, it's like, you know, you know, I could wait until that budget's perfect or just get it out so someone can evaluate it. Or I could, you know, I could, uh, 
spent a long time writing that proposal or that email or waiting to like pitch somebody until I had more, until I had more information. But if I had the opportunity to pitch them, I should just pitch them. Mm. So it's just things like that. I think it's about like not, not setting up hurdles or barriers for yourself to jump over, but just constantly running um, as opposed to, you know, starting and stopping a bunch. Wow. Thank you so much, Mark. Not a problem. Uh, I know you have a super busy, maybe after the summer, I'll have you come back to talk about, the other film we have, Blackbird. Sure. Blackbird was the one that got made. It's Sharp Corner. Sharp Corner. Sharp oh, Corner. yeah. He made Blackbird. Yeah. So we'll right. talk about Sharp Corner. Sure. Thank you so much. Cool, man. Thank you. This is the Blackout Podcast. listening.